Good morning, everyone. Um, so this morning, as Paul introed, my name is Nathan, um, and I'm going to be preaching through a section in Ephesians. So if you've been with us for a while, we have been um, going through Ephesians in One Hope for a few months now, and, and my passage is based in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Um, and the title for my sermon this morning is A Prayer for Love. So as I said, my name is Nathie, Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to Mandy, that's where the fee came from, um, and uh, that's how, you know, united we are, basically have one name. So anyways, we, um, as Paul said, we've kind of been a part of One Hope for um, a very long time, basically from the, the beginning, um, and we've been married for almost six years now, we have a beautiful little two-year-old um, named Elizabeth, and we have another little daughter on the way, which is super exciting. Um, so we're part of the leadership team of One Hope, and we led the youth ministry um, for a while. So we've been tried and tested. And um, we lead, um, at the moment, we lead probably the most Christian life group <laughs> that has ever existed. Um, and it was quite nice for me just to preach this morning from my home and from my life group. And it kind of feels like a, I have a home ground advantage, um, which is great. So you're going to hear a lot of amening and keep going and what? Pre preach it, white boy. There we go. Cool. Um, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And this is the second prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. And a few months ago, Riley um, unpacked the first prayer for us, which was in Ephesians 1. So in both instances, Paul has a specific pattern in the way that he prays. He basically follows a section of truth with a prayer. So the basic pattern then is that he ha follows an explanation of truth with a prayer that that truth will be applied by the Spirit. So I want to just quickly pray. Um, I need prayer and then um, I'll pray for us and then we can read the passage and kind of get stuck in. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, just the privilege that it is to sit under your word, to read your word and for you to speak to us. I thank you, Father, that you use weak hands and a stumbling mouth uh, to speak to your people. And I really want to pray that you would equip me this morning, speak through me, and that you would you know, help us to really know the truth of what Paul is praying for here. In your name. Amen. So let's read uh, Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I've mentioned this before, but it's important to keep in mind, kind of as we go through this, that this is a prayer. So Paul is praying for something, for God to do something for his readers. He's not primarily calling us to do something for God or for ourselves, but he's praying that God would act. So this morning I want to unpack this prayer a little bit for us, and I kind of have two, two key reasons in mind as to why I want to unpack it. The first one is that 
in us better grasping this prayer, it would cause us to pray more often like this, to pray more often like Paul. And secondly, that our better grasping of this prayer would cause us to better experience the reality of what Paul is praying for. So I want us to try and keep in mind these two kind of purposes as we kind of go through it. So this is my prayer for this morning. Father, help us to learn how to pray, to pray more often like Paul does here, and Father, help our understanding of what Paul is really praying for to cause the reality of this prayer to be experienced. So to better understand Paul's prayer, I have three key questions that I'm wanting to answer. The first one is, why is Paul praying? And basically, what are the grounds of Paul's prayer? The second one is the content of his prayer. What is Paul really praying for? And the third one is, by what means can this prayer actually be answered? So firstly, why, why is Paul praying? Let's read from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So you'll see at the beginning there, for this reason, and that is called a connective phrase. And when we see a term like this in Scripture, obviously, you know, what comes to mind is like, for what reason? For what reason is Paul praying here? And the first prayer in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, also started this way with, for this reason. And if you'll remember from um, Paul preaching last week and the week before, in chapter 3, verse 1, it also started with that same phrase, for this reason. So, in actual fact, Paul here is connecting this section of the prayer back with verse 1. So he's actually continuing the prayer that he initially started in chapter 3, verse 1. So what then is the reason? I have two key uh, reasons that I'd want to just quickly discuss. And the first one is the preceding text, the truth that came before the prayer. And again, because Paul initially actually started the prayer in chapter 3, verse 1, and then he kind of got sidelined with this overwhelming um, desire to better describe for us the unity that we have in Christ, we need to look at the text that, or the truth that preceded uh, chapter 3. So that's obviously chapter 1 and 2, and we've spent uh, a few weeks kind of discussing these two chapters, but I want to just give us a quick summary to help us get some of the grounding and some of the grasp for why Paul is praying here. So Paul starts in chapter 1, 3 to 14, with this kind of overflow of thanksgiving to God uh, for the glory of the Son of God. And describing for us the glory of the Son of God and the beauty of the salvation um, which we have. And then out of, out of this, Paul goes on to explain on, uh, about God's power and how God used the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work within us. And it's the same power which is um, redeeming people from very diverse backgrounds and making one new humanity. So it is then he's describing the power of God and the electing love of God, drawing men and women into a new family, making the dead alive by grace. So this then sets us up for chapter 2, where he kind of describes in greater detail how this new humanity is one new humanity. So there's no longer Jew or Gentile, there's no longer aliens or foreigners, but they have been united. So I want to just read uh, from chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to pray, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So can you see the, the grounds on which Paul is praying? He's, he's, he's explained for us this beauty, beautiful truth, and now he's trying to say, Father, may this truth be a rea reality in their lives. So Paul is praying then for the very purposes of salvation. Paul is praying for the ends of salvation or the fruits of salvation. Paul is praying for the realities of salvation to be experienced by God's people. D.A. Carson describes it like this, The heart of Paul's praying is that the power of God may be so exercised that God's purposes in redemption may be manifest in our lives. So that's the first reason Paul is praying, for the truth that has just come before it. The second reason is who God is. Paul is the second ground is the very character of God the Father. So you'll see that in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is praying because he knows he has a heavenly father and he knows that this father hears his prayers. And Paul is praying knowing and trusting in the character of his father. Will his father who redeemed him at the cost of his son not answer the prayers of his children? We too then are to, re to pray remembering that we have a father in heaven who loves us and who hears our prayers. So these are the two reasons Firstly, the very purposes of God in the gospel. And secondly, the very character of God himself. So then, on to my second question. What is Paul praying for? What is the content of Paul's prayer? Let's read again from verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this section is really where I want to spend most of my time this morning, and I want to do it again with the two overarching purposes uh, of why I'm preaching this morning. And basically they are this, that we might better grasp to better pray, and better grasp to better experience the reality of Paul's prayer. So this petition section where Paul is praying of, of the prayer starts with two coordinate requests or codependent requests. And we see these in verse 16 and 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So verse 16, Paul is praying firstly for spiritual strength in our inner being. And verse 17a, Paul is praying that Christ would take up his abode in our hearts through faith. Now we could happily kind of spend a morning on each of these and wanting to try and understand like what does it really mean to be strengthened in our inner being or what does it mean for Christ to take up his abode in our hearts. But this morning I want to briefly describe these two 
in order to spend most of my time on what I think is the crux or the main thing that Paul is praying for. So you'll see there in uh, verse 16 that both requests are according to the riches of God's glory. So what does that mean? What does it mean that they're according to the riches of God's glory? So I believe that kind of the two things that we can understand there is that the God's glory is both the means by which this prayer is answered and also the purpose for which this prayer is answered. So God's glory then supplies the resources which are required for this to be answered and uh, God's glory is the purpose of these prayers. So the, so the first thing Paul is praying for, spiritual strength in your inner being, verse 16. So Paul is praying that we might be strengthened and that the strengthening is a work of the Spirit. So this then means that the strength is not something that we have by nature, but Paul's praying for us to have something that we do not have by nature. And notice that the strengthening is not a physical strengthening that he's praying for. It's a strengthening in our inner being. Um, so what then does the inner being mean? Like, how do we understand what the strengthening actually really looks like? So Paul um, describes the inner being in uh, two other texts that I want to just read quickly this morning. Romans 7:22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 2 Corinthians 4:16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. If, if Bruce, with uh, reference to these passages, describes the inner being as the true and enduring self, which delights in the law of, the, of God and experiences daily renewal, however much the outward man may waste away. So the inner man then is not accessible to sight, but it is the part of us which is open to the influence of God. So briefly put, you can kind of understand the, the inner man as the spiritual aspect of the person. And this is what God's Spirit is wanting to come and strengthen. So then secondly, in verse 17, the second thing Paul is praying for is that Christ would take up his abode in our hearts. And at first glance, when you kind of read this, you, you kind of think, but you know, Paul's writing to believers, so isn't Christ already dwelling in their hearts? And that's true. I mean, from texts like Romans 8, we can understand that there's no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit of God. So then we have to ask the question, well, Paul must be praying for something of a different nature. And Paul is praying that Christ might take up his abode in our hearts, that he might make a dwelling place of our hearts, that our hearts, to an ever-increasing degree, would look like a dwelling place of the Lord. So this then is actually a prayer that we should never stop praying. It's, it's praying for an increasing in the way that Jesus is reflected in our lives. So for those of you who do not know, um, obviously you guys know, but some of you out there might not know, um, I work as an architect. And when I was kind of pondering this and trying to understand, you know, what does this really mean? Architecture came to mind. And um, basically Paul, Paul is praying for this, that, that we will increasingly see the hands of the master architect in the lives of his children. And one of my favorite architects is Francis Carey uh, from Burkina Faso. And I just want to show you two of his buildings, which hopefully will help us kind of understand this a little bit better. And this is where Christ takes a new creation, and then he takes up his abode in our lives, and he, he transforms this creation into something that reflects his character and reflects his heart. 
So if you just have a quick look at the first building, this is a primary school in a village called Gando, and this is where Francis Carey grew, grew up. It's the first school in that village. And um, yeah, just notice the beauty of the building. The very humble building relates well to just the surroundings, the materiality, proportion. Um, in the second image, you'll see the library space that was designed uh, for that building. And again, just such an almost awe-inspiring space in a very subtle and humble um, area. And notice these beautiful roof lights that kind of puncture through that solid ceiling. The second uh, school that I want to show you um, is a school in Kudugu. Um, so that's also a great name for a son, if anyone's wondering. JC? <laughs> Write that one down, keep it in mind. Um, <clears throat> but basically you can see there's a very similar character to the way these buildings are designed. And you can see, even just in the response to nature, um, with these kind of cone structures which suck air through the building to cool the space beautifully. And the second image um, is of the same building, that's kind of the internal courtyard space. And again, materiality, um, response to nature, attitudes towards light. So in both buildings we see the character of the architect quite clearly. The form, hierarchy, the proportion, uh, response to nature. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, actually, you could argue that I could show you both images of those two schools, and without telling you who the architect was, you could say, I actually think this is designed by the same person. So what then does it look like for Christ to take up his abode in our lives? It looks like this, that our lives to an ever-increasing degree display him, display the master architect's work at hand. So these are the two prayers, strengthen our inner being and Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. And these two prayers build into what I think is the focus of Paul's prayer in this passage. So the third thing Paul is praying for, and this is the crux of Paul's prayer, that we might grasp through experience the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. He's praying that we would know the love of Christ. So verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. So quickly just notice there the phrase, that you. So that phrase is called a purpose connector. Um, so this phrase then connects the purpose of Paul's prayer with the two prayers that he has just prayed. So this then is the purpose and effect of being strengthened with God's Spirit and Christ dwelling in our hearts. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So it is important to know here that what Paul is really praying for is not an intellectual type of knowledge, it's an experiential type of knowledge. And we get that from the phrase to know, which is the Greek word ginosko, which actually means to know experientially. And kind of when I was thinking about this, I was thinking a little bit about kind of yesterday with the snow and stuff. It's like people don't want to just see it in the news and read about it and know that it happened. They want to go and experience it. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is praying for here. D.A. Carson says this, 
This love is not merely to be analyzed, understood, and adopted into holistic categories of integrated theological thought. It is to be received, to be absorbed, to be felt. Um, Johnny, or John Piper, as some of you would have like me and his wife, we're quite tight. Like, we're the only ones that get the Johnny. Um, anyways, he says, if there ever was a text on experiential Christianity, this is it. And scripture is full of this um, describing the experiential dimension of Christianity. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Psalm 73.25-26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Galatians 2, Paul mentions the Son of God and feels constrained to add, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 1 Peter 2, 3, tasted that the Lord is good. This is not to know just merely intellectually, but to taste that he is good, to experientially taste that he is good. Romans 14, salvation is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by his spirit. 1 Peter 1, you believe in him and are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Scripture itself then demands that we recognize the importance of the experience of the love of God. And I just want to mention just quickly that I think this experience can look different in different people's lives. For some people, it can be kind of like in the suddenlies, you know, just out of the blue, God chooses to, by His grace, give them just an incredible experience of His love. But for others, um, which I think is also crucial to mention, is just the positioning of the believer's heart to receive the experience of God's love. And I think that experience sometimes doesn't look sudden, but it can almost look like the changing of tide, like something radical is happening, but it's happening gradually as that person walks closely with God. So one of the big questions when I was kind of going through this and studying this was like, how do we experience this? Like I know Paul is praying for God to do something, but what is this calling us to do? What is there for me to do to better experience this or to experience this more often? So I want to just describe for us three key ways which I think that this text calls us um, to do or to help us experience this love. The first one is by prayer. Praying that by the power of God, we'll be strengthened by His Spirit and that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Let's read it again. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is how we should pray. And, and I think the question begs to be asked, when was the last time I prayed like this? Or when was the last time you prayed like this? Um, so we prayed like this as a life group, so you guys have to try and think <laughs> further back. But the question still stands. How often do we pray in line with Scripture like this? And we pray for so many different things. And it's not a bad thing to pray for so many different things. The Bible actually teaches us to cast all our anxieties on God, 1 Peter 5, or to make all our requests known to God, Philippians 4. But I think there's a particular significance in praying in line with the Word of God in praying for the very purposes of the gospel to be experienced by God's people. And how often when people ask us, like, what should we pray for? How often do we respond, like, for the basics of the gospel, you know, that I would know it to a greater extent the love of God and that I would be spiritually mature. 
And again, we need to ask this because this is not something we do. It's something that God does. It is a work of God. So I want to challenge us this week to pray this with someone. Take this text and pray it with a friend or pray it with your life group or pray it with your spouse. Pray this prayer, Paul's prayer, over yourself and others. This prayer then should be a regular rhythm of our lives. So that's the first thing, to pray. Second thing is look to Jesus. And this is because we know God's love because Christ has made his love knowable. F.F. F. Bruce um, describes this point in the following way, but how can human beings, finite creatures still, for all their endowment with spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm in Christ, ever hope to apprehend that which is infinite and eternal? Only insofar as that which is infinite and eternal has condescended to their estate and capacity, and he in whom dwelleth all the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily, has in love declared to us the infinite God whom no man has seen at any time. Hence, Paul co-joins apprehension of the breadth and length and depth and height with knowing the love of Christ. So again, from verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So just notice that first phrase, being rooted and grounded in love. And I want us to kind of see a connection with Ephesians 1, uh, 4 to 6. And it says this, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This means then that we have already been rooted and grounded in love. You see there, before the foundation of the world, in, eternity's past, in eternity past we have been loved. So in Christ, we have already been rooted and grounded in love, and this then forms a foundation on, on which we can experience and know the limitless love of God. So look to Christ, because in Him, in Him on the cross and in the resurrection, is God's love most clearly displayed. Mm-hmm. Romans 5, 7-8, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 1-2 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we know because Christ has made his love knowable. See the love of Christ as you look to the cross. Look to Jesus for, for him to empower us to, to comprehend through experience what is already theologically true. Um, one of the things which kind of really stuck out to me when I was studying this was um, one of the commentators was speaking about how we know God's love in a deeper way than what the angels know it. And this is kind of a strange thing because we kind of think like, but the angels, you know, they kind of dwell so closely with God, so surely they know God's love. But actually, when you think about it, um, they have never experienced the sacrificial love of Christ. They've never been recipients of God's grace by His love. 
So we then have experienced in salvation the greatest display of God's love throughout all of history. And maybe there's um, some people watching this morning and you're not a Christian and there's something inside of you that's saying, I want to experience this love. Like there's something in this that I want to experience and you want to experience God's grace and love. And I want to encourage you this morning to lean in, to pray and ask that God would grant that you would experience it. Ask that God would take your sin on the cross and that he would put his righteousness on you. It's such an incredible thing when I think about it because I think like the gospel is not only that our sins were paid for, but the gospel is also that Christ's righteousness is placed onto us. So that's the second thing for us to look to Jesus. Thirdly, commit to community. Verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So this then, to know the love of God, is not a lone ranger experience. To truly experience the love of Christ, we must be in community of God's people. It is a vain idea to think then that we can better experience the love of God if we isolate ourselves. God has ordained that we are made spiritually mature in community. And obviously the isolated individual can kind of know some of God's love, but their experience of God's love is limited by their limited experience. Mm. To understand the whole love of God, we need all the saints of every race, every culture, every temperament, with all their varied experiences. Um, so this is why I love my life group so much and going to life group every week because it's almost like these close encounters with different people's experiences of the love of God. And um, when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a National Geographic show which was called Caught in the Act. And it's kind of like this show of like just average people seeing wild things with animals and they're taking it like on their phone and then they share it and they make this like whole show of this. And I was reminded about that and I was like, that's actually so true because it's not something that's like kind of super spiritual. It's just every ordinary, everyday ordinary believers sharing their experience of God with each other. So commit to community for it is with all the saints where God makes his love known. Spiritual maturity is a community project. So I want to just take us back um, to the library that I showed of Francis Carey in Gando. Um, and one of the keys to Francis Carey's work is that his, building is not, his, his buildings are not only designed to serve the community, but his buildings are designed with the community involved in the very construction process. So just notice how beautiful that space is and the way that light kind of punctures through the ceiling. And in the back, you see Francis Carey there in the library. The second image... Um, is actually an image of the building in construction. And just notice quickly on the roof there, the clay um, pots that are placed quite specifically. In the third image, you'll see ladies from the village of Gondo who make these pots and are now bringing them to be used in the construction of the building. And um, <clears throat> just for the purpose of the analogy, um, I want to argue that each of these pots represents that person's individual experience of the, God, of the love of God, which are now, they are now bringing to this building so that that building will be a dwelling place of the Lord. 
So a dwelling place of the Lord is a community project. It happens in the local church. So many of you will know um, Silva in One Hope, and um, we meet up quite regularly. And this week when I was meeting up with him, I I was on my way there and I was kind of just thinking about the, the preach. And I felt God say to me that Silva is a person who's helped me experience the love of God through the way that he's experienced God's love. Um, and when we were kind of having coffee together, I asked him the question, you know, do, do you experience God's love and how do you experience God's love? And I found his response really, really helpful. So I thought it would be cool for him to share that with us this morning. Silva. I heard Nathan say but this is the first group ever. But I think it is it is a honor to be in a second group ever because Graham's <laughs> group is the first one. <laughs> I call him. Uh, I have two Bibles here. This is Tom. It's the second Bible of mine. Tom and Matthew, I mean. <laughs> and this one is Callum. Uh, get well soon, brother. Uh, I remember I was to Paul's office, helping him to build, if my English is right. Um, Daniel told me, uh, I told Daniel, like, uh, I have a meeting with someone at half past one. And Daniel told me, is she pretty? <laughs> and I say, oh, sh- he knows about the blonde girl. <laughs> I'm joking, it's not Robin. <laughs> so, uh, the answer for Daniel today is, yes, he's very pretty. Spending time with Nathan, talking about the Bible, <laughs> learn from him is is an honor and thank you so much Nathan and thank you so much to invited me to come here and share as if I stand here is like Roman um, it's like 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 uh, verse 7 and 8 I'm not ashamed about the testimony that I need to talk to share with you so Four months ago, I was walking in my ways, doing my stuff. I, was, I wasn't seeing life, I was seeing death because I feel like I sold my happiness, I sold my youth time. And I was really, really lost. And some of the, some of the people in the community, in the church, knows about my life. So, one day, in very unexpected way, God sent to me a shy guy, Jack. <laughs> Hello, Jack. He's very shy. But it was the one who talked to me about Jesus. And it was like someone waking me something new. Just heard about Jesus. See? And... I was invited to the um, student camp. I'm not even a student. So, all these, God found me in the darkness, very deep in the darkness. 
he shine in me and he take me out of the darkness but through who through the church and the church is you the community so whatever i'm experiencing now is the love of god as you can read in roman 8 38 39 the love of god is so great and today i'm surrounding about good people Nathan, Charmaine, Paul. And I stand here in front of you talking about the Bible. I couldn't believe because I was hating God. For me, it was like all this thing of Bible is just conspiracy. But yes, today I'm here in front of you talking about the Lord. And how powerful is transforming me to become a new person. It's so great. In him, there is only light. And this light is shine and will continue shining in my life. So, I have something very, very important to share that I feel like God is just pushing me to talk about it. See? So, uh, even in a game night time, you see, there's always an extra time. I'm sorry to take a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So, if you read Ephesians 6.12, Paul used to talk about it. See, we are fighting against evil spirits. See? Sorry, Nathan, my five minutes is gone. <laughs> uh, so, as Christian, as a church, see, we mustn't fear about what wicked people, wicked authorities in this world are forcing us to do. But we need to walk according to what we inherit from Jesus Christ. See? And we need to stand as a church like that because we need to endure the suffering with God. For that, we're going to reign with him one day. And the goal of a Christian is the kingdom. So, I really thanks God for this moment and to know about you all here, to have Nathan in my life and you all the community. And the only thing I'm going to say, the last one is, I was in the darkness as if you, if you can read Micah uh, 7, verse 8. I was in the darkness, but in the darkness, God shined in me. He took me out of the darkness, and today, through Jesus, I'm becoming a light to some other people. I can shine in life of others. God bless you. Stunning. Thanks, Oliver. So I think for me, it's just so beautiful to see the way God is actively working in Silver's life and using everyday individuals in small or big ways um, to show him God's love and then for him now to show all of us some of what God's love looks like. So to recap, what is...
call or this text kind of calling us to do and how we can experience this more often. Firstly, persistent prayer. Secondly, look to Jesus. And thirdly, commit to community. So as we close this morning, I want to just look at Paul's final purpose of the prayer and then the doxology at the end. So, fourthly, Paul's final purpose, to be filled with all the fullness of God. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, notice that phrase, that you. It's another purpose connector. So the final purpose of Paul's prayer is Christian maturity. That is what it looks like when we're filled with all the fullness of God. We become mature. We become a masterpiece of the master architect. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, helps us understand this a little bit, a little bit better. And I'm going to read from verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of God is spiritual maturity. But notice the progression of the prayer. This spiritual maturity, this fullness, is not possible without a supernatural knowledge of the love of God. Yeah. Knowing through experience the love of God is crucial for spiritual maturity. So what is spiritual maturity look like? We've discussed this quite a bit, but it's a person's life that looks like a dwelling place of Christ. It's like one of those buildings where you can see the hand of the architect so clearly in his work. The proportion, symmetry, hierarchy, or materiality of the building reflects the love and person of Jesus, bringing restoration to the communities and people which surround them. So then, for us to become spiritually mature, we need to grasp the love of God, which takes the power of God Himself by His Spirit in the church. We need to be filled with all the fullness of God. And fifthly, the, the doxology, verse 20 and 21. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul ends this prayer in like a spontaneous praise. And that's basically what a doxology is. And we can kind of leave this prayer, or I, I did, um, with kind of thinking like, yo, Paul, like you're praying to know the unknowable. Like, okay, stopy lordy. Um, aren't you pushing it now? Like, shouldn't you be praying for, that one was for JC as well. <laughs> Aren't you pushing it now? Surely you should be praying for something like, surely you should rather pray for the knowable. Like at least pray that we can know something knowable. Aren't you just setting yourself up for disappointment? But look how Paul finishes his prayer. To him who is, more, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So this phrase here, far more abundantly, could actually be translated super abundantly. And it's called a, it's one of Paul's super superlatives. Um, so I'm not very good at English. So when I was kind of studying this, I was like, yo, what's a, what's a superlative? Um, so I had to study it. And basically a superlative is, is like best. It's like the highest something could go. 
but Paul here is saying, you know, that's not enough. Yeah. That best, that highest is not enough. He's wanting to take it higher. Yeah. So it's a super superlative that God is abundantly, far more abundantly able to do what Paul is asking him to do. So Paul reflects on the power, power and ability of God to do um, super abundantly more than we could ask or think. And it is important to notice there, you know, the ask or even think, which connects back for Paul praying for something which surpasses our knowledge. All we could even think. So this ability is founded in his power. And this is the same power that Paul has, you know, gone at great lengths to describe for us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated in him in heaven, and the same power that's in work within us. So God then is able, God is super abundantly able to answer Paul's prayer and to answer our prayers as we pray this prayer over ourselves and pray it for others. And then verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All, um, Paul ends with the purposes of everything that he has written in the book of Ephesians and everything that this, this prayer is about, the glory of God. Glory of God. Uh, glory to God and the, and the church in Christ throughout all generations. Paul is praying all glory to God as God works salvation out in his people and as they grow in their ability to experience um, the limitless love of God and are filled with all the fullness of God. Let me close um, in prayer for us this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is, able, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.